0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, June 22nd, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 11 to 30. Jeremiah has spoken against the sins of the house of David in general. Now he speaks the Lord's word of judgment specifically concerning the three evil kings who followed Josiah in the waning days of the kingdom of Judah. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Mike Newman. Pastor Newman serves as the president of the Texas District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President Newman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you, Pastor Apple. Great to be with you. As we get started this morning, President Newman, let's talk a little context. We're in Jeremiah 22 today. We're going to be dealing with three different kings in the kingdom of Judah toward the the last days of Judah. What do we need to know about Jeremiah, his ministry, and that historical context as we dig into this text today?
1: Well, I'll tell you, Jeremiah, as you know, had a tough job. (laughs) He's called the weeping prophet. And... He just had a long ministry, more than 40 years of prophesying. you had two sides. He prophesied hope, of course, but he had the tough job of addressing unfaithful kings in the midst of a very turbulent time in the middle of his life for the kingdom of Judah. So we know more about him than any other Old Testament prophet. Uh, His book has ups and downs filled with distress and hope. And the listeners didn't want to hear him. You know, they didn't like his talk of doom. They were suspicious when he promised hope. And so this is a, a tough section here as he discusses the destruction of Judah ultimately and the condemnation of these kings.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jeremiah had a, a tough job, no, no doubt. And, and yet, as you said, there are, there are sections of hope. We don't get a ton of it explicitly today. But this, this text really is building toward one of the major sections of hope in the book of Jeremiah coming up tomorrow's text to Jeremiah 23, verses 1 to 8, where we're going we're gonna to get to see the negative side of, of who these kings are today, all to, to make the picture clearer tomorrow of the righteous branch in the line of David pointing us toward Jesus. In terms of, of what we're going to see today, the, the structure of the text, some of the features of the text, what, what kinds of things would you point out for us in the, the text as we prepare to look at it?
1: Yeah, this is really a beautiful text. You know, if listeners, if you do a cursory read, you see all the condemnation and think, oh, this is depressing. What does it mean for my life? But you know how uh, Luther called the Psalms of a little Bible, miniature Bible. And honestly, in this section of Jeremiah, we see some of the outstanding features of God's word and promise that run throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament. It's really beautiful. and We'll highlight some of that. So just to remind listeners, this is Hebrew poetry and Hebrew poetry is a little different than the poetry we're used to. But it has a definite structure and it has two main poetic sections in the text. There's some prose that introduce and in are interludes, but verses 13 to 15 are a, a big poetic section Verses 20 to 23 are. And what happens in Hebrew poetry is there's emphases that uh, that bring us key messages. So in the first little section, there's a rise in intensity in the message. And some scholars count syllables in Hebrew poetry. David Noel Friedman is renowned for doing that and trying to figure out how this works. But there's a definite swell to an intense diagnosis of sin in verse 17. It builds up. And then there's a very even rhythmic flow in the second section, verses 20 to 23, that just shows condemnation for unfaithfulness and this unchanging resolve of unrepentant hearts that clashes with God's resolve to punish unfaithfulness. So it's pretty interesting to see how the structure is. It's kind of technical, but I think as we talk about it, listeners will, will hear and see the relevance of this. So it's very interesting. And as I mentioned, there are a bunch, more than a dozen key biblical words in this section and some grammar that opens up the scriptures to us and shows us ultimately, even in the midst of this uh, prophecy about destruction, that shows us God's faithfulness and points us to salvation, as you said, as immediately as the next chapter.
0: The text itself that we've got, there are the three main kings that are mentioned here. We, we've been dealing with the Davidic line in previous sections, and the the three kings that we've got are. And we'll have to we'll have to sort this out together, Pastor President Newman, because. The names that we get sometimes these kings go by more than one name, so we have to do a little <laughs> bit of historical work here the The first king i 'll read the first couple of verses for us in verses eleven and twelve. we get the king named Shalom in the text. So this is jeremiah twenty two eleven and twelve for thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah his father, and who went away from this place. He shall return here no more, but in the place where they have carried him captive, there shall he die, and he shall never see this land again. Just with those two verses concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, just remind us of the history here, President Newman. Who are we talking about? What's the historical situation? So, yeah,
1: you remember Josiah was a very faithful king. He rediscovered the law. He started implementing it. He met a tragic death as he tried to turn away the Egyptians in 609. And so then there was the kingly succession. And we have what we have are Josiah's sons and heirs taking over. Uh, but unfortunately, as Judah was dominated by other nations, those sons really became just vassals of foreign kings. So Shalom is the first son who took over. Uh, he's also uh known as jehoaz so we have a bunch of kings with j names we have jehoaz and then we have jehoiakim and then jehoiachin and as you said he'll be called koniah sometimes so uh, shalom reigned just very very briefly just three months uh, he was taken captive to egypt and as the verse says he did not return
0: right and and Shalom or Jehoaz is, is such a short reign. He doesn't actually get mentioned in Jeremiah's call at the very beginning of chapter one when Jeremiah lays out you know, when his ministry was. He actually skips over Shalom or Jehoaz in, in his listing of the kings under which his ministry took place. But his, he does have this three-month reign as king. Very brief. He's a, a, a vassal of, of Egypt and then gets deposed by Egypt what what of theological sig- significance do you see here in these first two verses concerning Shalom?
1: Yeah, this is really something, you know, when it says, uh, who went away from this place. So here's the first key word that pops up in this little section. And again, it's just filled with riches of biblical messages. So this word place, makom in Hebrew, is such a significant word. It's throughout the scriptures, God is the one who gives us a place. You remember Jesus' words, I'm preparing a place for you. Uh, In uh, Revelation, we hear about the church being protected, given a place in the wilderness. Uh, All through the scriptures, there's a whole theology of this place. So God is the Lord of places. And this isn't just uh, when Shalom is sent away from this place. It's not just a geographical action by God. It really has a deeper meaning. The message to the prophet Jeremiah is that God's people and this King have departed from God's place, his plan, his gift. And so this really shows a breach of faith and uh, a pushing away of God. It's really, really and it, very relevant for us as well. You know, um, God gives us a place and, uh, It could be tied into our vocation right now and ultimately our hope of heaven. Now, fortunately, God still gave his people a place even in exile. And that shows the depth and purpose for even exile. So we live in these turbulent times today and people wonder you know, is God really with us? Is there a purpose to all the chaos going on? But God is faithful. He always gives us a place and a purpose where we're at so we can shine his light. But Shalom forsook the Lord. And so God said, you're not, you don't have a place anymore. So very, very significant.
0: For for sure. And I think, you know, in, in their in this day and age, when Jeremiah is writing the, the place that, a, that a family, a person would have a place is a huge deal. And to be taken away from your place to be put out of, you know, your home, that's, I mean, that's just to be lost. I think it's, I, I don't know that, that we have a, as full of appreciation as we can. Our society is so mobile. You know, I, I can move from one place to another with with great ease if I if I desired. In Jeremiah's day, you know, I mean, where your home was, that's your home. You stay there, and to be cast away from that place, that's a, a pretty significant judgment. And so, I think I'm not sure how to. How to communicate that as as well to in our day and age? What do what do you think, President Newman? How do we how do we get that same sense of? I mean, when we lose your your place is to like I mean to lose your identity. How do we see that? Where where might we have that same experience today?
1: Yeah, like you said, it's hard to find a parallel because this theology of place and later we're going to see the land is so significant and deep. It may be comparable to being disowned by a family, you know, uh, a son or daughter being disowned and cut off, and suddenly you don't have your connections and identity and rootedness and relationships, uh, that's probably the closest we could get to understanding the depth of this judgment.
0: Uh, the other key word in this section is the, the word to return, or in Hebrew, shuv. This is a word Jeremiah particularly loves, and it's also just important in the entire Old Testament. What's the significance of that word, Pastor Newman.
1: Yeah, you know, when, when uh, the prophet says, he shall return here no more, that's not only a statement of fact, but it really characterizes the hardened hearts of the leaders who turned away from God and his ways. So, yeah, shuv, repent, return. It's God's constant call and plea. It's Martin Luther, in his first thesis of the 95 Theses, said, the life, our lives are a lives of Repentance. This word is used in John the Baptist's and Jesus' first sermons, repent, uh, the kingdom of God is near. So not returning is not just banishment from a location, but as I said, it's confirmation of this hardened heart and spirit, a departure from God's rescue and salvation. And as you said, this word is so significant throughout the scriptures and We're going to see here in this section in in a negative way, Jeremiah highlights these key blessings and gifts God gives us uh, that really, I think, call to mind our hope and the direction he really calls us to go.
0: One more thought from this section in verse 12, and you've mentioned this already in connection with the word place. We have the fact that Shalom is never going to see the land again. And again, for us today, I think this is something that we don't appreciate as much as we could just because of difference in context. What's the significance of Shalom being told he's not going to see the land again?
1: Oh yeah. The land is so huge. And really we see the controversies in the Middle East today over the land, right? Uh, There's a little different interpretation, but The fact that God promised the people of Israel, the tribe of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, a land and that this land would be emblematic of God's faithfulness. And now the land becomes more than just geographical land. But in the New Testament, it becomes the kingdom of God and our life under him. And so the fact that he'll never see the land again is truly being cut off or his, actually his rejection of the beautiful promise that God has given the, the life together that he has promised so that, you know, the kings and the kingdom could be a light to all the nations. So never seeing the land again was a huge sobering verdict for an unfaithful leader uh, similar to place. So really we have these big words and I'll tell you, When the listeners heard this and they heard these terms and never seeing the land, it was absolutely heartbreaking and devastating because now they knew that they were once again uh, aimless nomads with an existence that wasn't rooted and they had walked away from God who delivered them and cared for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that really helps to to set the stage, and and so that we know what the listeners would have been thinking. And this is a, a very heartbreaking message, heart rending, at least with those for ears to hear. And, and Jeremiah is trying to call the people to repentance, to that return word, over and over and over again. Here specifically to the kings, they're not listening, as as we're seeing, but but he is calling the people of Judah to come back to return. I mean, the Lord pronounces judgments like these ahead of time so that his people would repent so that he can show mercy from the judgment. That's the whole purpose of what he's doing. And and it's helpful to have that in the back of our minds as we read these texts that are full of the judgment condemnation so that we see what the Lord is intending to do through these judgments. Any more comments on those first verses before we move on to the next section, Pastor Newman? Yeah, you know, I think
1: for the listeners
0: to understand
1: this is so relevant today because What Jeremiah is saying is that what God gives is good. The life he gives is good. The place and the land, the the security, the comfort. Um, It's important for us to know that the life God gives is not a burden. It's not something that he wants to tie us into so that we're going to be miserable this side of heaven. Uh, But as we see in the chaotic things going on in our culture, what is truly good? What really brings us peace and wholeness? And this is really the life God gives. So this is a great illustration for us to learn from and say, wait a minute. Um, God is calling us to something really, really good. And to follow him uh, is the best life we could imagine. So uh, very, very important to learn from the past. We don't always do it, but it's so important to learn from the past
0: yeah that, that's a, I think that 's a helpful comment that the lord i mean he he has called his people to what is good they 've rebelled against him, and, and right now what he 's telling them is this what this is what it looks like when you rebel against me and and one of the things that means is to not have a place and and what a terrible thing that is and so by seeing that negative picture, we are invited to to look toward the good that God does give us to live under his reign so we 've got verses thirteen and following now we 're transitioning to the next king after Shalom, Jehoahaz. The next team is Jehoiakim. More is, is said of him in the book of Jeremiah. And so we, we get these words now beginning in Jeremiah 22, verse 13. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? But you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. Therefore thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. They shall not lament for him, saying, "Ah, my brother," or "Ah, sister." They shall not lament for him, saying, "Ah, Lord," or, "Ah, his Majesty." With the burial of a donkey, he shall be buried, dragged and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. That's Jeremiah twenty-two, thirteen to nineteen. The, the section regarding King Jehoiakim. Pastor Pastor Newman, in verse 13, we start with a a pretty important word, woe to him, death to him. And then what is it in verse 13 that Jehoiakim's doing that brings this woe upon him?
1: Yeah, this, you know, here's a king who was just vexing to Jeremiah, just for years and years gave Jeremiah such a hard time and more than a hard time, just made life miserable in his rebellion and so we have the outline here of what this king is doing. And again, we, we come to key words in the negative. So building his house by unrighteousness. So the polar opposite of what, what God is and what he desires, that word zedek, righteousness, is so key in the scriptures. And we even people had a moniker if they were a righteous man. So, for instance, in the New Testament, in Matthew, when Joseph and Mary are uh, mentioned, Joseph is called a righteous man. Uh, that that's literally a zadik, zadik. So this is from this word righteousness. Uh, he walked in God's ways, but goodness and humility, self sacrifice. And here we have a king who is opposite of that. He's building his house by unrighteousness, that which is not God's right ways. And so uh, Jeremiah exposes that he is building a house not in the way God that is God-pleasing. You know, in Psalm 127, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And here is uh, this king who was so, so hostile toward Jeremiah, intentionally building, creating his house in unrighteousness, the opposite of what God wanted. It's just uh,
0: what exposure takes place there. Sure. I mean, and and righteousness is one of the key characteristics of who the Lord is. And as king of, of, Israel and Judah, the the king in the line of David, was to mirror that to his people. And so to, you know, to be building something by unrighteousness is to be doing the exact opposite of what the king is supposed to be doing. Jeremiah had exposed that in the, the previous chapter in chapter 21, oh, verse 12, where it says, execute well, that's the word justice. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a second. Righteousness, righteousness. shows up in, in 22.3, do justice and righteousness. But justice is intimately connected with it. And here again, Jeremiah gives the negative of that. What's the significance of the word justice and then the injustice that's being seen under King Jehoiakim?
1: Yeah. So, again, it's interesting in the construction of these words. In English, we see unrighteousness or injustice. But actually, in Hebrew, it's not righteousness, not justice. So it's two words. And again, it highlights uh, that which is against God. So justice is God's judgment regarding us. And in Christ, he judges us not guilty. And if, if we're not just, what we do is remove the compassion God desires. So God long ago called this people of Israel to himself. He rescued them from slavery. He brought them through the wilderness in miraculous ways. And is actually saying, well, I don't want that compassion. I don't want that deliverance. I don't want the characteristics of God. I want not righteousness and not justice. And this, I think the astounding thing that I notice here is, and I think listeners need to understand, this is within the church. These are God's people. This is his established people, the light for the nations on the earth. And it's a common temptation for all of us is to add the knot in front of those things which God gives us. So we can be tempted to become cold and combative instead of loving one another as we've been loved. We can uh, be tempted to become judgmental or legalistic against our neighbors where God himself removes our guilt and removes our sins so again this this word for justice mishpat righteousness tzedek these are key biblical words that unfold the beauty of God's grace and here again as you mentioned here's the contrast it, it it's almost you know we have a taste of heaven we receive through the word and sacraments this judgment is almost a taste of hell where we see the gravity and And horrible life that we have as we if we push God away, the not righteousness and not justice are just a torturous and a horrible existence. So it's really, really a stark message that they heard. And, you know, that's why Jehoiakim didn't want to listen
0: and i think what's what's even uh, what makes it even more uh, troubling is that uh, jehoiakim you know he he probably was putting on a pretty good outward show and i think the the coming verses 14 and 15 really really put that out that uh, outwardly jehoiakim maybe looks like a decent king trying to do what's right for the people and and even you know in some of his political maneuverings and trying to rebel against these larger kingdoms that have lordship over the, the people. You know, Maybe it, it looks like outwardly that he's doing something good, but what's really going on is he's using unrighteousness, injustice, or as you said, not righteousness, not justice to do things. And, and in so doing, he's leading the people astray. We have a couple more knots in this verse, uh, President Newman, that, you know, his neighbor serves for nothing and doesn't. So there's there's two knots there. Take us into those, those last two knots in verse 13.
1: Yeah, so serving for nothing and does not give him his wages. Again, uh, two key words. So the word for serve or servant from Eved, that's a huge word in the scriptures that points ultimately to the suffering servant Jesus. We see that in Isaiah 53 and numerous other places. And here, Jehoiakim is flipping this word from the servant God. To uh, forced service of neighbor. And again, the opposite of the giving Lord to a taking king. And the same thing with does not give wages. This uh, word for give is Natan. It's where we get the name Nathan from. It means to give. And this is a word of grace. But again, Jehoiakim is flipping it on its head and it becomes unfaithful selfishness. So Uh, Sometimes you learn more from a negative example than you learn from a positive. And what God is doing in these verses to us is, I think, instructing us, saying, hey, this is what the shadow side looks like if we corrupt the gifts of God. So Jehoiakim did that at every turn. And like you said, there may have been a veneer of propriety, but simmering beneath was corruption, quiet, maybe secret corruption. It's a good warning to us as well. Um, you know, God does look upon the heart, and it's calling us to repentance and saying, "Hey, what's simmering beneath the surface of your life? Uh, don't deny it or justify it. Uh, get on your knees before the Lord and repent and ask for His grace."
0: Yeah, the the negative picture of Jehoiakim making his own people serve him, essentially making them slaves. Does then, in, in contrast, highlight who our Lord Jesus is, that he is the one who came not to be served like Jehoiakim wanted to be served, but Jesus came to serve us, to give his life as a ransom in our place. And whether well, that's the, the picture that we're seeing from these negative kings at the end of the reign of, of Judah. We're going to take a short break here on Sharper Iron, but we'll be right back. We're looking at Jeremiah chapter 22 with President Mike Newman of the Texas District Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We'll be right back. Please stick around. As we struggle to look at the world from a Lutheran perspective, there are many things that would tempt us from seeking first the kingdom of God. The May issue of The Lutheran Witness is all about this. Titled Seek First the Kingdom of God, it covers a wide range of learning how to get over our worries and fears and trust in Christ alone, to how to avoid the temptations and struggles of technology. To order your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org slash witness. You can also read more on witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you look at the world from a Lutheran perspective. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Smith, host of Concord Matters, where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. Join us as we read through the Book of Concord and look at confessional topics, as learned guests and lively discussion will lead us to appreciate how the treasures of the Lutheran confessions apply in the 21st century as much as they did in the 16th. So join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central on KFUO Radio or on demand through the Concord Matters podcast. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, June 22nd. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 11 through 30 with Pastor Mike Newman, president of the Texas District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President Newman, we left off in the middle of Jeremiah's words concerning Jehoiakim. The prophet has painted Jehoiakim as a king who does everything the exact opposite of who the Lord is. He is not righteous. He is not just. He is not a servant. He does not give. Now we get to get a, a feel for what Jehoiakim was doing. And and Jehoiakim seems to think that what makes him a king is that he builds important buildings. Uh, take us into what's being said there in verses 14 and following.
1: Yeah, when you know Jeremiah says that Jehoiakim says, I'll build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms and cut windows out of it, paneling it with cedar, painting it with vermilion. So there's his grand project. It's an amazing shift, as you said, from the inner character exposed to the outer actions that he thinks are what makes him a great king. And maybe he got a lot of accolades for that, his big projects, But this is the second time the word build is used. So here's another significant word. And he's the one who says, I'm building myself. But in reality, who's the one who really builds? And we know that God is the one who builds and he builds his great house. What a contrast to Beth is the word for house and as in Bethlehem. And what a contrast to the humble house that feeds the world through the newborn king, Jesus Christ, to um, Jehoiakim's egocentric, fine house, <clears throat> trying to be the creator of things and really take God's place. So, again, it goes back to that temptation in the Garden of Eden, where here he wanted to be like God. He wanted to take God's place. Instead of humbly serve the God who saved him and delivered his people and gave him a vocation of reflecting the goodness and glory and grace of the Savior.
0: This talk of building a house also reminds me of King David, you know, the the great king of Israel and and his desire to build a house first for the Lord. Now, his desire to do that was perhaps a, a bit, you know, uh, it was ill-timed perhaps when you go into Second Samuel chapter seven and, and you read that interaction. But David was concerned about building not a house for himself but a house for the Lord. And then in that corresponding uh, conversation that the Lord has with David. You know, the Lord tells David, I'm going to build you a house. And and it seems that, that Jehoiakim has completely forgotten that entirely. He's concerned about building himself a house, not letting the Lord be the one to build the house. I mean, I th- that's the connection you were making with Psalm 127, that the connection back to Adam and Eve, that, that Jehoiakim thinks he's the king over Israel. And and anytime that happens in the Old Testament, where the, the king who sits on the throne thinks he's in charge and not Yahweh the Lord, Things go poorly for the people of God. And, and Jehoiakim is standing out as, as example, A, at least in this time, of one who thinks he's in charge of the building program rather than letting the Lord be the one to build the house.
1: That's really a great connection, Pastor. So true. And this is the Davidic line, isn't it? So we have this corruption of heart in the Davidic line. What You're right. What a contrast between David and and then Jehoiakim's aims, I think it's good for all of us as listeners to take this lesson to heart and ask the question, how are we pouring into the generations ahead of us? How are we discipling our children in the word of God and teaching them to know who the Lord is and and how he uh, creates our lives and spirits to be uh, my my wife was talking to our granddaughter just yesterday about her faith and her uh, trust in Jesus and Jesus' death and resurrection for her. And, you know, when you see uh, corruption take place across generations, we don't all, we're not always in control, but God does give us a chance to pour into and see what our children, grandchildren, even great-grandchildren are receiving there's such an onslaught from the culture and from our own sinful flesh of things that would corrupt us. And God gives us an opportunity, we hope, to prevent what we see Jehoiakim doing, living just for himself, indulging himself and forgetting about others and ultimately uh, rejecting God.
0: Well, and, and so the Lord then, or the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah, calls jehoiakim back to the example of his father and and i think you know in verse 15 where i think the lord's making fun of Jehoiakim a little bit you know you think you're a king because you compete <laughs> in cedar like, and, and and maybe behind some of that even is and i don't think it's explicit here in jeremiah but in other places the lord is the one who who builds the cedars he's the one who planted the cedars on the on the mountains of lebanon so so you think you're pretty cool jehoiakim well remember who planted the cedars in the first place but then the Lord calls Jehoiakim back to his father's example. And I think, you know, certainly his father, Josiah, as we've mentioned, and I think maybe even his father, David, is in the background here as the examples of a king who did what was right. So take us into to those verses 15, 16, where, where we hear about the father of Jehoiakim, whose example he's called to follow.
1: Yeah, God, God just makes it so clear through Jeremiah and, like you said, confronts him in a bold way and says... Hey, do you think you're a king because you compete in cedar? And literally that's saying, do you think you're a king because you can forcefully get more cedar? It's tied to anger. So angrily acquire more and more. God is saying that is not what it is to be a king that reflects the king of kings. It's not about force. It's not about ego. Uh, Instead, there's a transition to say, here's what it is to be. A king, And it, and the lead off is the end of verse 15, when it says, then it was well with him. You know, d- your father uh, was about, again, we get this justice and righteousness appearing. And the goodness, Tov, this is the good God. This is the good life he gives. This is the results of the covenant. And then he describes the attributes of goodness. So God is so, uh, he's not just condemning here through the prophet, he's trying to instruct this King Jehoiakim to say, listen, calling you back. Uh, so he judged the cause of the poor and needy. So we get the word judge, which is huge in the scriptures as well, uh, as God is the judge working properly through his servants. And, uh, Jeho- Jehoiakim has shown this example of his predecessors. And then, uh, is not this to know me declares the Lord. So, um, uh, Judging the cause of the poor and needy, having regard for those in need, being a true servant. Isn't this what it is to know me? That word know in Hebrew, yada, is a, a word of an in, intimate relationship that God has established with us. So here is this beautiful, What what is it to walk with the Lord, to truly be in relationship with him? Uh, it exhibits itself in this prevailing goodness God gives through us. And so when he says it was well with him, when he knew him, this isn't prosperity theology, like, hey, you know, uh, claim you're a Christian, you'll have all kinds of good stuff. This is really this, it is well with my soul no matter what. There is a shalom, a holistic wellness. And God just lays out this, this life that he gives, a good life, a beautiful life, a life filled with his blessings and fruit, a life of comfort, refuge, and strength during times of trouble, and a life that has a purpose, declaring the, the light of God's rescue and salvation to the world. Uh, it's a beautiful thing that God does through Jeremiah to try to bring Jehoiakim along in talking about the true nature of what it is to be a king.
0: That, that last part of verse 16, is not this to know me, declares the Lord, I really think gets to the heart of what's going on, not only with Jehoiakim, but really for the whole people of Israel. Jehoiakim seems to have this mistaken picture in his mind that to be the king and to know the Lord is to live in luxury and grandeur, to make it all about him, and then that'll make it well with him. That will, will give him the good life. And the Lord says, no, that's not what the good life looks like. The good life is to is to know first, you know, to know who I am as the just God, as the righteous God who gives justice and righteousness to his people, who takes care of the poor and needy. And then that is reflected through his people. And, and Jehoiakim has missed that entirely. And I think that really mirrors the situation throughout the people of Judah at the time of Jeremiah. We've, we've heard previously Jeremiah preaching that, that people were taking false comfort in saying, oh, look, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, everything must be okay because we've got the temple of the Lord. And then they were living however they wanted. And, and the Lord tells Jehoiakim here and he tells his people throughout the book, look, that's not what it means to know me. To know me is that and to go back to that covenant language from Exodus that Jeremiah loves to repeat, you know, that the Lord is their God and he is their people. And everything that entails, the people are trying to just cover up with some sort of outward righteousness all the while rotting inside. Jehoiakim is doing the same thing. And the Lord is, is calling them back to a, a true you know, relationship with him to truly know who he is, to receive his goodness and then mirror that to the world.
1: You're so right, Pastor. And that word to know is the word in the scriptures used for marriage intimacy as well. This is the deep relationship God has with us, making us one with him. And this message is sure fit for today, isn't it? If people think that they're going to find their comfort in materialism or in power and control, and not just any people, we can fall into the same trap as pastors, as the church, as uh, servants of our Lord, we can say, Hey, um, I, I'm taking comfort in my stuff, my level of my paycheck, uh, what possessions I have. And if I can exert power and control over others and boss people around, then I am really feeling like a leader, you know, and someone who's having life the way it should be. And God is saying, No, that's not it. As you mentioned before, Pastor, you know, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that is knowing the Lord and walking with him and reflecting him. So this is a trap that all of us fall prey to so easily. And it's a timeless message for us and goes deep into our hearts. Maybe a course correction for listeners today whether it's trying to power up in their marriages or families or jobs or with others, uh, it's really something where God speaks to us and brings us back to him. Re, re, you know, repentance returns us to him and to the walk that he has for us through Christ.
0: And that, the end of verse 16, I think stands as a, a high point to this section. I think you mentioned that when you were talking about the Hebrew poetry, that even the, the poetry here points toward this verse as the, the central part to the of of what he's saying to Jehoiakim. And then it it kind of falls back down more into what was said before. Verse 17 is is quite explicit in in terms of going back to what the unrighteousness, the injustice is. There's dishonest gain. There's shedding of innocent blood. There's practicing oppression and violence. Very, very honest, harsh words of what Jehoiakim is doing as a a king, not in line with what the Lord wants.
1: Exactly. It is a pretty stark words there for what actually is going on and whatever Jehoiakim was doing to justify his actions, Jeremiah strips it away here. And the word "asa" is used here. It's to make or create. And so Jeremiah is saying, look at what you're creating. You know, God creates what is good, but you're creating, uh, terrible things and you're making a mess of what God really desires. So there's even a messianic connection in this verse, where uh, the word "upon." So you know you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and practicing oppression and violence. This is what you're setting your heart and eyes upon, and what we load up on our shoulders and carry with us for life, uh, through life can become very destructive, of course, on our own. But in Isaiah 53, we hear what Jesus carried upon himself. Uh, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds were healed. So all of this dishonest gain, the shedding of the blood of the innocent, oppression, the creation of violence, this was placed upon Jesus who, uh, who paid the price for that and vanquished these forces of evil. But Jehoiakim carries this load himself, and because of that, destruction is the result.
0: The destruction is, is mentioned in verses 18 and 19. In terms of how Jehoiakim has a rather inglorious death, it, it, he's not going to be lamented, and he's going to receive a, a rather a terrible burial. Take us into those last two verses concerning Jehoiakim. Yeah, this is really, again, this is where God is giving both barrels to this
1: king, because thus says Yahweh uh, unto Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. I mean, this is a direct address. Wow. Who's really the king here? Who's really in charge? Uh, God, the Lord, Yahweh, is in charge. And his his demise is going to be uh, terrible, shameful. Again, they're not going to call him brother, sister, Lord, majesty. In fact, verse 19 says, with the burial of a donkey, he shall be buried. Now, uh, if you've ever been in Africa or the Middle East, you know there's all kinds of donkeys. Those are pretty common and inglorious. You know, it's humble, right? Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey. It's just uh, a, very, a great example of the very concrete expressions and language of the Old Testament. Um, Dragged and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. So, mm-hmm. hurling him away. And there's a key word in here too, shalak. It means to send. It's In the New Testament, that's apostle or sending or mission. But this is not a holy sending. This is a holy hurling away. He's being sent beyond the gates of Jerusalem and not included in the covenant promise. So, uh, this is a, a terrible end that You hoped and the prophet hoped and God hoped would open up Jehoiakim, the great self-proclaimed king, uh, open his eyes. Uh, It didn't work. Uh, His ears were shut or uh, his eyes and heart were shut. But it is a really, really grim prospect for Jehoiakim's end.
0: In verses 20 through the rest of the text, we're going to hear some more about Jerusalem now and then about Jeconiah or Koniah or Jehoiachin, the, the final king right before Zedekiah. So I'm going to read the rest of the text for us, President Newman. This is Jeremiah 22, beginning at verse 20. Go up to Lebanon and cry out and lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry out from Abarim, for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth and you have not obeyed my voice. The wind shall shepherd all your shepherds, and your lovers shall go into captivity. Then you will be ashamed and confounded because of all your evil. O inhabitant of Lebanon, nested among the cedars, how you will be pitied when pangs come upon you, pains as of a woman in labor. As I live, declares the Lord, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born and there you shall die, but to the land to which they will long to return, there they shall not return. Is this man Kaniah a despised, broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. That's the rest of our text for today through the end of Jeremiah chapter 22. President Newman, just because we're we're starting to run a little bit short on time, there's so much to talk about here. I I like in that first couple of verses, 20 through 23, where where he's speaking concerning the destruction of Jerusalem again. One of the key things that comes up several times is this matter that Jerusalem and the kings there, of course, they won't listen. They won't obey the voice of the Lord. Those are, again, really important for Jeremiah and for the the whole Old Testament. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. They're, They're not listening to the Lord's word.
1: Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? You you hear that section, it's just really sad. All of the gifts of God are all around and within um, reach and uh, accessibility to the people, and yet they're being rejected. And exactly when it says in verse 21, when Jeremiah says, you you, you said, I will not listen, that word is Shema, and that's just famous from... Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Listen, hear. Um, it's used twice uh, in this verse. And listening is not just hearing a sound, but it's really acting out what, what you hear. It, it is, uh, in English here, we have obeyed, but it's really shema, you haven't listened. Um, in James 1, we hear the injunction, don't be just hearers of the word and deceive yourselves, do what it says. So, you know, the prophet is saying, you're not only not hearing but you're not obeying you're not following and it's a real it's a call to us again to really have ears to hear and then walk in the ways our lord has given us
0: yeah i mean as, as long as the lord is talking to us even when it's it's words like these we should understand that to be a gracious gift of of his that he would give to us his word because whenever he speaks even words like these he's doing so out of love to call us back and and the worst thing we can do is to not listen, to not take it to heart, as the, the collect for the word says, to not inwardly digest it and make a part of, of who we are. That's the absolute worst thing that we could do. And so the Lord constantly is calling us to listen, to obey, to to heed, to take to heart. That's that's the call to the people of God in Jeremiah's day and the call to us as well. In in verse twenty-four, we get this last king in the list that we're talking about today. He's named Coniah here. As we've said, he's also gone he goes by the name of Jeconiah and sometimes Jehoiachin tell us a little bit about the the history there that we need to know pastor Newman and then any as what is the Lord saying to him here in this final section.
1: Jehoiachin went from bad to worse right Uh, and he had a very very short reign just about a year Uh, so the the tragedy of rejection continued when Jehoiachin was uh, made king and ultimately uh, you know Destruction was very, very close uh, in his short reign. And that's why you hear these sad uh, words being spoken to him as well. Uh, He just, again, followed in his father's footsteps, unfortunately, in rejection of the Lord. And uh, how sad to hear, you know, if you were a signet ring on my right hand, I would tear you off. uh, Being torn away and, of course, uh, not having any heirs uh, to take over any reign. Very, very sad.
0: Mm, right. And, and Kaniah Jeconiah, he's the one that does end up exiled in Babylon at the end of Jehoiakim's reign. He's, he's there for, a, he, he reigns as king for a short time. Then he's taken away in one of the first exiles, not not maybe the first, maybe the second exile. There are several of them. One of the very significant ones that's, again, this is just the downhill slide of the the people of God. In, in verse 28, in addition to the, the image of the signet ring being ripped off of the Lord's hand in, in verse 24, in verse 28, we have the image of the despised broken pot, which calls back to one of Jeremiah's previous prophecies where he, he takes that earthenware flask and he breaks it in the sight of the people. Now Jeconiah is, is mentioned as that. In this final section, President Newman, we have a return to the, the land. And you mentioned this earlier. It's repeated three times in verse 29. Oh, land, land, land hear the word of the Lord. We come back to that, that what we really started with this theology of place, the theology of the land repeated here at the end. Why, why again, is is this an important repeat here at the end of our text?
1: Yeah, here's an exclamation point really on what's going on. And it is God pleading, really pleading with his people, hear the word of the Lord. When he's talking about land, it's not just the geography again, the dirt or the ground. It's the, the people, the promise, the covenant and again, the powerful statement, "Hear the word of the Lord, you know, like the ezekiel thirty seven you know them dry bones, but this is God's constant plea, Shema, hear, and then devar that the that is for word, and it is used in Jeremiah more than any other book of the Bible. Hear the word, this is the living word, the word that changes hearts, that transforms lives. And this just reminds me of Jesus pleading, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, Oh, land, land, hear the word of the Lord. God, uh, you can almost hear him tearfully calling his people back. And this is important for our listeners too. Today, this verse, verse 29, is uh, pleading us, uh, to us to come back to him, to return, to hear the word of the Lord, to let it, the living word, uh, go deeply into our hearts. And transform our lives to receive his gifts and walk in his ways. So God never gives up on his people, even through these words of condemnation and the realities of rejection. He still pleads with his heart for us.
0: President I mean, we have about just three minutes left on the morning as, as we reflect on this section of Jeremiah chapter 22. These three kings who are, are condemned here, the people of Jerusalem, judgment is coming. Again, it's, it's primarily been a text of judgment, condemnation, law. How do we take this as Christians and use it today? And how does a text like this point us toward our Savior, Jesus Christ?
1: You know, it's something uh, we don't like to hear criticism or correction very much. But one of the hallmarks of God's word to us in the Christian life is sobering truth. Uh, you know, in Das Kapitel, we hear that uh, religion is the to of the people, right? Karl Marx said religion is the opiate of the people. But the truth, true religion is anything but that. It really strips away all illusion and speaks total truth to us. Truth tellers are sent by God. And each of us is called to listen, to hear the word of the Lord, not to push sobering news away or corrective news or news that would even expose our own sin. But we're called to hear the word of the Lord and then by God's grace and through the Holy Spirit to respond with repentance and asking for God's mercy. Uh, It's important for all of us. Uh, That's um, you know, the life we're called to. And and we need to remember, too, that embedded in this text, in all the judgment, are grace and salvation, all these beautiful themes woven through. So the jewels of God's grace are all around us. And, and as we're given the truth of our sin, God is also bringing us the truth of our salvation in a beautiful way through word and sacrament And that's really, uh, you know, we're called to a a different narrative. Instead of just blending in with the world like these kings did, we're called to the narrative of uh, bringing the truth of Jesus, shining his light and showing his love to others and living it out in a repentant, humble way as we serve as Christ has served us.
0: Pastor Mike Newman is the president of the Texas District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 11 to 30. President Newman, thanks for being our guest today. Pastor Apple, what a pleasure. Thank you. Three kings toward the end of the kingdom of Judah, Shalom, Jehoiakim, Kaniah, three evil kings who did the opposite of what the word of the Lord would have them do. Not righteousness, not justice, not service, not gift. And they receive that judgment. But the Lord speaks to them. He speaks to his people to call them back, to call them to repentance from rebelling against him. And in showing us this picture of these evil kings, he shines a light on who the true king is, our Lord Jesus Christ, who does righteousness, who gives us justice, justification, free forgiveness from our sins, who didn't come to be served, but to serve us and who gives us the gift of eternal life. That is the hope that we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the true King over all. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah, comments on the series, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or use the app, the open mic feature there. You can record up to a 60 second message to send to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.